Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Hi, my name is Thad, and today I will be reading Exodus 20, 4-6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the water below. You shall not bow I mean, bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Thank you, Dad. (laughs) Oh, man. Good job, Bubba. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are and for all that you've done for us and for all that you're doing. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today with my boy and uh, and this church family. God, we ask that as we take part in what uh, your kids all around the world been doing and are doing, God, that you would get honor and glory uh, from us saying that it's not about us, but it's about you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, T. I love you, Bubba. All right. You may be seated. I'll take it. Actually, here, take that Take that down there. How are you guys doing this morning? Oh, man. Thank you, Papa Mike. I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. As Britt said at the beginning, Happy Father's Day to those of you who are dads. And at the same time, we want to acknowledge that we know, similarly to Mother's Day, that even though this is the day where we celebrate fathers, uh, there, there are other things that come with holidays like today. Some of my very best friends, a lot of my guy friends, uh, I've got five in total of lost dads in the last several years. And so when we come even to days like this, we know that there can be some heartache as well. So we just want to acknowledge that across the spectrum of all those things, we're glad that you would be here with us today and, and, and participate in what we have for this morning. So my name is Jed. I get to serve as one of our pastors on staff, and we have been studying on Sunday mornings through the life of Moses. But as Britt shared just two weeks ago, during the summer series, as we've gotten to a juncture in Exodus chapter 20, where God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, we're actually going to be doing a series within a series. And so each week we're taking one of those Ten Commandments and we're going to talk about what it meant contextually and then cross that cultural bridge and see how we today can live it out more fully. And I'd like to encourage you, if you are not caught up, go back a few weeks and listen to Britt's introduction to this series. He called it the Ten Commandments on the Ten Commandments. It is a great primer for what we're doing and a wonderful message. So it's Father's Day today, and, and, and we know that dad jokes should be in full strength 
I did not, however, get blessed with that gift or that curse, whatever it is, at least not yet, at least not yet. Uh, perhaps it might be coming. So I thought that we'd begin our service with a little bit of media, and then after that, we'll, we'll start jumping into our text. So if you'd turn your attention to the screens. <laughs> She's staying in a rainforest treehouse? That's my dream. You dream big for a man on a plane to Omaha. And she's ziplining with little John? What? It's little John. Even he knows that. Thanks, Captain Obvious. You're with Big John. I'm Steve. Don't hate like their trip. Book yours with Hotels.com and get rewarded. <laughs> oh, man. Have you guys seen those Captain Obvious commercials? Hotels.com. I, I don't know about you, but when I watched that for the first time and Steve says that I'm Steve, I almost fell off of my chair. I started that today, and this is your very first fill-in-the-blank. It wasn't just to give us a joke on Father's Day. Your very first fill-in-the-blank is the second commandment, like the first, is not so obvious. It's really not so obvious. And I know that we have heard these commandments, many of us, and when we hear to not have idols, to not make an image, to not bow down and worship it, we're like, okay, can we move on to the next one, Right? It makes a lot of sense to us, I think. A few weeks ago, Thad and I, we were at Lowe's getting some grass seed to prepare for the summer. And I'm pretty sure as we were walking through Lowe's, we weren't looking at the lumber yard wondering if people were picking out wood to go and take it home and fashion their idol and set it up in their backyard. It's just not the world that we live in. However, however, even though it might seem obvious to us in the first century, actually ancient Near Eastern world, so even before that, thousands of years ago, it was entirely acceptable and appropriate. In fact, it was unquestioned. Idols and other gods would have absolutely been a part of their day today. And if it weren't for the fact that it were such a part of their world, these commandments that God gives, he, he would not have had to give them. And so he communicates these things to the nation of Israel as they have just escaped Egypt after 400 years plus of slavery to give them their identity that they're going to carry out in a new and fresh way. And even though it sounds straightforward and simple, it is not so obvious. They had all sorts of gods at the personal level and the family level and the community level, and at the national level. And I'm going to put up a name here, Dr. Michael Heiser. And in addition to Michael Heiser, we can all see the Bible Project. If you're taking notes, you can write down Dr. Michael Heiser's name. He was introduced when we were in Bible college. He does great work on what is called the Divine Council. And then when it comes to the Bible Project, you can look up ancient cosmology because I could spend all this time giving you tons and tons of information, and you know me pretty well. I do that a lot, and it can, it can be cumbersome, and so I'm trying not to do that today, so I'd encourage you, go and check some of that out, because when you read, if you want to see from a more intellectual or academic level, the ancient Near East, that world, the gods, it was pervasive. It's the idea of not crafting images, and then bowing down to them would have been a shocker. So in order for us to maybe get a sense of what this is like, 
because it's so foreign to us. I want you to imagine that maybe 2,000 or so years from this point in time, maybe even more, 3,000, 4,000 years from now, human beings are still around, and they find a time capsule of what we've been doing in our life, and they see this. So if you could play the next video, Mango. To Green Bay, Wisconsin. Lake Michigan may be icy. Look at that scene, but snow is not expected to be a factor as two of the greatest quarterbacks in league history do battle. The frozen tundra at Lambeau will definitely be chilly. Forecasts are for temperatures in the 20s, but 9,000 fans will do their best to keep the Packers feeling warm. Championship Sunday is here. This is Fox NFL Kickoff. A true legacy game transcends its era. That's why this matchup needs no introduction. As the golden age of quarterbacks concludes, two faces remain. We know the characters, the stats, the stakes of this story. It's once in a generation. And you're like, what in the world, Jed? Okay, just stay with me for a moment. I'm going to put another slide. Regions, gods, battle, weather, followers, leaders. Okay, don't, don't think that I'm telling you right now that the NFL is an idol. If that's your idol, you can figure that stuff out. But the reason why I pulled that up for you and had you consider several thousand years from now, people are to stumble across that commercial, do you think they would really quite be able to grasp the level of intensity that surrounds football and our sports? Do you? In the ancient world, and I, and I put it up, and they go, you can leave that up there, regions, gods, battle, weather, followers, leaders. In the ancient world, every single territory had their god. So there was gods over territories, and then there were lesser gods, and then finally you had gods in the household. And, and these gods, they would do battle, and oftentimes, like we saw in that Green Bay Packer Tampa Bay thing, we talked about the frozen tundra. That's why I picked that clip. It was cold. It was icy. The idea of gods and whether those went hand in hand, and there was clashing, and then there were figures and representatives of these gods. We might see the Packers, and we might see the Buccaneers, but we also saw uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And so in the ancient world, they didn't just have these statues, these figures that represented the manifestation of the gods in the physical places when it came to leaders in these regions like Pharaoh, which who we talked about several weeks ago when we were in that showdown between Yahweh and those gods in the plagues. We see that there are these deities that are also expressed in statues and people. And when we think about things like football, to us, it's fun and games, but connect that idea with the intensity of nations and individuals. And if you ever struggle to wonder how in the world people get, get so caught up in idols or gods, just remember that we have ways that we can think about that culturally, where we rally behind images and figures and people and battle. And some gods are greater than others. Does that make sense? You see, 
when we sing, do you remember that old Chris Tomlin song with the electric line at the beginning where he goes, the Our God is Greater song, right? I didn't do a good job of that. Our God is greater, our God is higher, right? You wouldn't sing that song unless you were trying to declare that your God was the greatest. So here's your next fill in the blank. The second commandment emphasizes how Yahweh is distinct. I'm going to take us back here in Moses' life in a story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. This is Moses at the burning bush. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. That's the footnote there. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this my title for all generations. Here's your next fill in the blank. When we're thinking about the second commandment, remember Remember his name. Remember how he reveals himself to Moses. Write this down. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. That is so, so critical. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You cannot contain me or configure me or make me cemented. I am who I am, and I will be who I will be in this current time and for all of eternity. That is his name. You catching the difference there. And so here's your next fill in the blank for what separates Yahweh. I am who I am or I will be who I will be. He cannot be created. He can't. And we're not just talking about before him, his preeminence. We are talking about the, the, the idea of taking this God of everything, the cosmos, and trying some way to fashion an image that would be adequate enough to represent him. Me going through a decent amount of scripture today, you can turn me to Psalm 115. We see other ways in the histories that they would look to the difference of Yahweh, to other gods, not to us, O Lord. And by the way, when you see Lord all capitalized in your Bibles, it is that unspeakable name. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? The taunting of the nations is where is your packer? Where's your buccaneer? Where's your Tom Brady? Where's your Aaron Rodgers? Who's going to come forward on this stage of the great, wait a minute. You're going to send me an old man? Named Moses and a stick and his older brother? Do you see the audacity, the ridiculousness of that image? What it would have been like for Pharaoh and all of the gods represented in that space and time. And it wasn't just in Egypt. Every single territory and region. And to come forward and say, I can't show him to you. But he said his name is I am. I am that I am. His name is I will be 
what I will be. The mockery. You have nothing, nothing to show for where is your God? Literally, where is He? Here's the next one on the blank. It's not that He just can't be created. He, he cannot be controlled. And so the psalmist continues to write. So this is the psalmist retorts to where is your God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They make no sound in their throats. Those who make them are like them. So are all who trust in them. And again, we hear this stuff. And many of us, I'm not saying all of us, many of us would say, yeah, that, that makes sense. But if the majority of the world around you is saying, where is your God? Show me. And your response is, well, I can't show them to you. I can't. But he's not crafted by human hands. He, he lives in the heavens. And yet somehow God who's in the heavens can occupy in, in real space, a burning bush. This transcendence and yet this nearness. This is I am who I am. This is I will be who I will be. You see, the second commandment, this is your next fill in the blank, even though to us we might hear don't have idols, is really revealed in two parts. It's making and it's worshiping. And the reason why I want to make sure that that is clear is because when I was a teenager, if we were studying the Ten Commandments, and when I heard messages about idolatry growing up, the way that it was posited or posed to us was, find your idol and tear it down. Does anyone remember that message, right? Find your idol and then tear it down, which was really, really difficult because everything that sounded good sounded like something we needed to tear down, right? And so it leaves you just going like this, like, what do I need to kick down and, and tear down next, right? Is it money? Is it, is it my job? Is it, is it my family? Do, is, it, is it my identity in sports? Is it school? Does that make sense? We're left with that message of find your idol and tear it down. And, and, and we think, should I just stand here like an idol and do nothing? <laughs> and then just think about God forever? I mean, I didn't even last a few seconds there. Making and worshiping. So we go back to the beginning of this. In Exodus 20, it says, You shall not make for yourself an image, and then you shall not bow down to them or worship them. So we want to focus here on the making. Are you guys okay with that? We want to focus on the making, which I said is hard to compare in modern times because, again, I'm pretty sure people aren't walking through the stores finding wood or finding exotic stones, thinking about how they're going to bring it back home and craft something in their backyards. And if you're taking notes, you can write down Isaiah 40 to 44. And I'd, I'd, I'd highly encourage you, if you have time this week, go back and read the prophet Isaiah in the span of these four chapters and listen to the way that he reveals Yahweh taking his stands as judging over the gods of the ancient world. I, it's just, it's marvelous stuff, but we're only going to read 
one bit of it to emphasize the making part. So you guys okay with that? So we're going to be reading out of Isaiah 44. And we'll start in verse 12. The blacksmith works it with a tool over the coal, shaping it with hammers and forging it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks water, excuse me, he drinks no water in his faint. The carpenter stretches a line, marks that with a stylus, fashions it with planes and marks it with a compass. He makes it in human form, with human beauty to be set up in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or chooses a home tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Okay, if, if you were to rate that on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being like, no biggie, that's, that's cake, I could do it, and 10 as in, wow, that is quite the task, All right? 1, like, oh, I got that, no big deal. 10, yeah, that's, that's quite the big deal. Let's rate it, 1, 2, 3. <laughs> I think some of our carpenters maybe in the room are a little bit higher, right? right? There's maybe like a six or so. Most of us said 10. I definitely didn't hear any ones. Let me put up just, it's not in your notes, but take note of this. There's a special individual, there's skill, and then there's strength. I mean, think about this process for the person who could actually do this. Okay, there aren't many of us that would have to worry about it. Right? We think like, well, I can go just buy my little idol at the store. Or I can go to the temple and bow down to that thing. Or, or I can pay heed to our national God. But the idea that me or you could go out into the forest and chop down that tree or plant the tree and wait till it's grown or take and mine those stones and then fat, I mean, it's, it's incredible. A special individual skill and strength. Let's keep reading. Then it can be used as fuel. Part of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Then he makes a god and worships it. Makes a carved image and bows down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he roasts meat, eats it, and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I can feel the fire. The rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, save me, for you are my God. Now, I don't know if you can hear the tone there. Even though these individuals were highly esteemed and highly important, do you hear the prophet Isaiah and those digs, those jabs? And it's a little sassy, quite frankly. But he's got a point that he's truly trying to make. Okay, uh, look at this next little progression here. We have God and these things that are from God, the wood and the stone, the fire. It all begins with God. And then there's this human ability, which is absolutely remarkable. It is it's something to behold the skill and the strength and the talent of these people. And then it devolves 
into a God, which again sounds so silly to us. Put ourselves in the place of these ancient peoples and what it's like to be captivated by a building. And culturally, knowing this is, this is just what we do, and then to have an end product, something you can see and hold, that you have your superstitions tied to. Remember, God's at the individual, family, community, and national level. God's that were responsible for the peace in your household, the rain for the crops, and whether or not foreign invaders would come and take over. God's of all sorts. But look how Isaiah continues. Verse 18, they do not know, nor do they comprehend, for their eyes are shut so they cannot see, and their minds as well so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. Now shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded mind has led him astray, and he cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a fraud? An invitation for a level of self-awareness that really does go beyond what it seems like we can expect people to have. And again, we could say, why are they so stupid? How do they not see it? It's so obvious. So let's start making a transition for us. How, how are we to live out the second commandment? How are you and I supposed to live this out. Let's go back to the stuff that Thadden read at the beginning of this message. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. I think most of you would say, check, right? Say like, okay, move on. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then you're like, oh, that's intense. And when Thadden was practicing this, it was so sweet the other day. He was reading it for the very first time, and I loved his response. You know how when things are uncomfortable, you just laugh? That's what he started doing. He started reading and punishing the chip. <laughs> punishing the chip. <laughs> and I had to actually read that through with him. Uh, what in the world? Punishing the children of the third and fourth generations? Don't miss the end of that to those who hate me. Right? It's not like just this blanket statement. There's this dynamic back and forth there, and then connected to it. And this love and kindness to the thousands of generations, the thousands of generations, it's supposed to communicate this fullness to those who love me. And, and yet what's so, so wild, what's so, so wild, even about that, even though there's this dynamic relationship and this back and forth, and we want to get stuck there, perhaps, when we think about the whole of who Yahweh is going to reveal himself 
to be. Don't we marvel at the loving kindness that begins to be made available for even those who hate him? So here's your next fill in the blank. First, think about how we can live out the second commandment. Remember that we are created to be in relationship with the living God. You see, when I was preparing this message, and I I really had to think through, okay, there is not just one comparable for actually physically building an idol. How would we take these words in a way that comprehended what they meant to these people and yet would still have meaning and bearing for us? Now, we know that we're studying through the life of Moses, right? And they're walking out of Egypt and they're going to be in the wilderness. Look at this next passage. We're saying, Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commandments. And later on in verse 5, know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Remember the long way that the Lord your God led you. And there's this really beautiful key part there where it says, testing you to know what was in your heart. See, oftentimes when we think about these Israelites and their journey to the promised land, we think the goal is just to make it into the promised land and to get there and to be settled. And that's the end of that fairy tale, but clearly that's not what happens. We've talked about that before, right? If, that, if it were just about the outcome, and if it were just about that destination, then we wouldn't be reading this. More wouldn't have followed. And yet the whole way through, what is attempted to be communicated is about a relationship with the living God. I've cited First Peter there in your notes where it talks about how we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has great mercy for us, giving us a new birth into a living hope, it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's this dynamic, living, real God. So that sounds fine, right? We can do that. But I had to think a little bit harder. Okay, okay, I, I can share that stuff, God, but is there, is there, is there anything more than trying to remind us to be in relationship with a living God daily that's not confined or cemented. And so I thought, if there isn't a comparable for, for building something, bowing down to it. I told Britt in our one-on-one this week that I was really struggling to figure out, how do I, how do, I do this? Rev, call him Rev, Reverend. How do I do this? And I said, I'm trying to figure out, is there a way that I can share about like some of us, me and you? And and so I proceeded to, to talk some stuff out with him. 
And so this isn't a surprise to Rit. This is stuff from just our one-on-one this past week. You know, Thadden, who was up here at the very beginning, he was 10 months old when we moved out to the valley. He was 10 months old. He's turning 11 in September. We moved out to Valley of Sunridge Community Church. He was the only child. Uh, I mean, T. Riss and Jay Goose, you guys remember him, right? He was, he was the little one. He was so, so small. And we were leaving Orange County, and we were coming to this place. And when we were in Orange County, you know, getting caught up in, in, in the, big, the big church and recording an album and all these things. I remember starting to pray with Mal that we'd find a way to just fade out. We wouldn't chase the stuff that, as a 19-year-old, I could feel myself starting to want to chase. And so we moved out here because we were compelled by Sunridge's mission statement, which is to help people find and follow Jesus. And I'd already told your Belinda, even though I was their interim high school pastor, I don't want to be a high school pastor, so they're setting me up for worship and stuff. And then I decided to leave to come here. They were mad. They weren't very happy. But I was 19, right? 20, 21. I was so stupid. I still am. You're like, yes, we know. So we come out to this place. And at that time, the church was actually in an interim state. Some of you guys have heard. Uh, every, every first of the month, we have a Welcome to Sunridge luncheon. And you can come meet Pastor Britt and the rest of our pastoral staff. And I think in upcoming months, Britt's going to start retelling some of the Sunridge's history. But at that time, we had an interim. And Britt wasn't here. He'd been here before, and then he wasn't here in that space. And I can remember I'd only been here for, I don't know, maybe two or so months. And Bob was in his office over there. And he was like, Jed, how would you feel if Sunridge had to close its doors? I'm like, well, (laughs) we're here. It was like, it felt like no big deal, right? I was just so naive and young and just like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. You know, we're so excited. And then Britt came. And I remember, I remember the first staff meeting where there were rumblings in the room. It was like, hey, did you see Britt on Sunday? Did you hear Britt and Cindy were back? And I, I can remember like, oh, who's that? And... And, and it was special, and we went through a whole lead pastor search, and at the end of the lead pastor search, uh, CRM selected Britt to be our lead pastor. And, and we'd already been having so much fun before, and then Britt got here, and then our team started growing, and it was just, it was wild. It was so fun. And I was 27 at the time when Britt took me down to San Diego, and and he, he shared, hey, Jed, you know, I've got this plan. And, you know, we've got a 10-year plan. And, you know, we're going to do this together. And I'm setting this up for you. And, and I want you to be our lead pastor someday. And, and I remember telling Britt, that is not what I want to do. I want to be a high school pastor. And I want to be a family pastor. And that's it. But within the first year, I'd already become a family pastor. And so we'd have these conversations. John Gaskins, who was one of my mentors at the time, said, hey, Jed, when you're in your 30s, it's going to change. You're going to want to do that. I just remember telling these guys, nope, it's not what I want to do. I would tell Britt, the goal is to keep you here longer than you think you can be here. Because that's not what I want to (laughs) do. Serious. Okay, And, and just in the last several years of getting to do life and relationship together, and at different points 
in time wondering if like John and like Britt and like Bob and others who'd spoken to me, that something in me would change where I'd want to do that. And where I'd want to do that. And what's so, so interesting is that even though this was something that we could say there's goodness in there and there's, there's God and there, there are wonderful things in there. I was telling Britt this past week when I was thinking about this message and how we could talk about making out is the only comparable that I could have, the only comparable that I could come up with was this vision of the future, regardless of what that was going to be, but building towards this vision of the future. And that being my idolatry. And that being my, the process of making and thinking and feeling so confident that this is, this is something that we're talking about and people, this is this is where we're headed and this is where we're going. And so many things have changed in the last several years, right? Something happened in 2020. Lots of things, lots of things have happened. Here's your next film, The Blank. And then I'll continue sharing this story. Consider where you might be tempted to make and find security in an image or an outcome that you'd want with or without God. You see, it's not that I'm not a person with goals or desires. And it's not that you can be either. But, but when I think about my idolatry, when I think about my idol building, I think about finding a sense of security or comfort or emotion in a future state that isn't what is today. And so a question that I can ask myself and the question that you can ask yourself is, what are you concerned with making that emphasize what makes you special, your skill or your strength? Where in your life or what's happening that compels you to want to build something that understandably allows you to use the stuff that God has given you? What does that look like? Your, your last fill in the blank here is when you're discouraged, try to remember that you're in the process of being saved and shaped. You're like, what are you talking about, Jed? We went from building a literal idol, and then we talked about this making of a future or a version, and those times when we feel discouraged, and we're wondering, what the heck is going on? You know what's so weird? And maybe it's not so weird, but so much of my time in the last few years have been spent feeling like I peaked out way too early. I'm sure that's, that's probably one of the most vulnerable things I can say. I peaked out early, and it's over now. <laughs> I told you I'm still stupid. <laughs> I, I do wonder how many of us have looked at the version of our life, the version of what is, and we felt discouragement because it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And it's certainly not what we wanted it to be or how we thought we were making it to be, whether it's in our relationships or lack thereof, but the type that we want whether it's in our workplace or in retirement, in school or athletics, in the home, in the community, 
our physical health, our mental health, whole health. How many of us find ourselves and go, what in the world? You know what's so wild about that one-on-one with Britain and me and him? Is that if you talk to the people who are closest to us, they'd say, man, Jed and Britt, they've been through it together. They've been through it together. But you know what's wonderful about the way the consequences for idol building works is we can go around, we can just smash each other's idols down, right? We just tear down other people's idols and whatnot. But the beauty of a God who's in the process of saving and shaping us is he, he challenges us and teaches us to recognize that cementing ourselves or other individuals isn't the process of salvation or sanctification of the work that he's in. You see, when it comes to the making of our idols, I'm convinced that a lot of it has to do with our reputation, how we see ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, what we're capable of and what we're doing. But those things we could do without God in many ways. Lots of people have great reputations, but what's different is when, as human beings who are in a relationship with the living God, we're able to see that all of us made in this image in the flawed and broken ways, when we see one another and we recognize that God is shaping and forming and changing and transforming all of us, it allows us to continue to be in real and living relationships with one another. And when we are in that place with each other, it causes us not to bow down to the idols that we were making or the things that we were tearing down. We're we're, we're caused to marvel at a God who can actually do that miraculous work. He's able to do that in us. So I'm going to invite the band up. If you're thinking, how am I supposed to do this? There's a passage at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And then do not quench the Spirit. If you're looking for a way to get in front of our idol building, think about that moment by moment, the rejoice always. The word rejoice connected close to the word grace, and the word grace is actually the awareness of God, joy, the awareness of God's grace. And so to rejoice always is to be trying to pay attention to the ways and the areas in your life where you can see the grace and the mercy of God. And so when we say pray without ceasing, this constant communication of God, I don't know. I don't know. But I see, and I'm trying to see you, and so that would cause me, it would call me to give thanks in all circumstances, regardless of what it is looking like or feeling like. And so to not quench the Spirit then is to say, well, one, it's a flame, it's moving. It's not just this stature or this idol or thing that gets smashed down. No, there's this consuming work of God in us that's trying to burn off these things. And so going back to that first Peter passage where it says, you suffer grief in all sorts of trials so that the genuineness of your faith may be proven later on. He's writing about how though you have not seen God, you love him. 
You don't have this idol or statue to look at. Jesus has ascended. Although you have not seen him, you love him and believe in him, and you are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's happening right now. You and I are receiving something. What are you receiving? Maybe not what you thought you wanted, that version of the life that you wanted, but I'm thinking about a sweet, sweet friend of mine. I don't even know if she's in here this morning. I see Cal. Cal, is Pam here? Where's Pam Samuels at? She's working. You know, I was telling Pam one day when I came up for prayer, I said, Pam, I feel like life is about learning how to not get what you want. And she said, oh, sweet Jed. Oh, she's so good at that. She said, oh, no, no, no. You can get what you want. The question is, what do you want? Do you want Christ? Because if you want Christ, if you want him, well, you can have him. I told you I was so dumb. <laughs> you see, it's, it, it sounds so obvious, doesn't it? It sounds so obvious. You think with this building and these songs and the sermons and whatever it is, it'd be so obvious. We would just do it. It's, it goes against who I am apart from my Creator. And so my prayer and my hope for us, Summoners Community Church, is that we would be a people who are being formed to actually get what we want, but that our want would be Christ. That our want would be Christ. And when we look at Jesus, fortunately and fortunately, he suffered a lot. He didn't have it easy. Doing the will of the Father, having a good Father, loving His Father and living out like His Father doesn't sound like to a lot of us the version of the world we would get. But it's pretty darn incredible. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.